Hey guys, it's Harris, and over the next few weeks, we're releasing a few special episodes of the Story Podcast. Story is going through a huge season of growth at the moment. It's pretty exciting, and with all the momentum our movement is experiencing, we are harder at work than we've ever been on our upcoming flagship event, Story 2017. It's a two-day conference taking place on September 21st and 22nd, and is once again in the also currently booming city of Nashville, Tennessee. Throughout the month of July on the podcast, you're going to be getting glimpses into the magic that takes place at this conference by hearing some of the live talks that took place at last year's gathering. Whether you've heard these talks before because you were in attendance or you're experiencing them for the first time, they're sure to serve as incredible short 20 to 30 minute bursts of inspiration for your life and your work. You can learn more about being a part of Story 2017 by visiting story2017.com. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Last year at Story, the founder of Adopt Together and one of the most creative communicators I know named Hank Fortner closed out our final session. We wanted to finish out our conference focusing inward in an effort to stay healthy as creators. After all, I believe that everything we create has the fingerprints of our souls all over it, whether we like it or not. And if our minds and hearts are not in a good place, then the stuff we create and the stories we tell will not be what they could be. So I invited Hank to come give a talk that might serve as a call to action, a sort of rally cry to leave Story 2016 and go back into the world and make the things that need to be made by telling the stories that need to be told. If you were there, well, then you know already that he totally crushed it. And I can't wait for you to hear this talk again. It'll serve as a great reminder. It's the kind of talk we should probably all listen to at least once or twice a year. If you missed it, I'm so excited for you to experience it. Here's Hank Fortner from the main stage at Story 2016. Hi guys, how's it going? Good. Wow, good to see you guys. What a cool space. And what an amazing conference. Can we just thank Harris III for putting together what an incredible day. Thank you. Uh, I was introduced uh, to this. I'm here today because my friend Jason Jaggard, who I know you heard from, emailed me and introduced me to Harris and said, this guy's up to something and you need to be a part of it, so please check it out. And I've just loved being able to hear and meet so many of you and get a chance to be a part of the story gathering, which I feel like is really, really special. Uh, the, is anybody here, um, anybody here a fan of Gmail? Just by a show of hands, just so I know. Okay, is it so weird? Anybody here like holding it down with like a Yahoo account just by a few, like show, be proud. Anybody still holding it down with a Yahoo? Anybody got like a AOL account still? Like the classic cars of emails? You're amazing, I see that hand. Anybody with like a Hotmail account if that's still around? Oh wow, okay, yeah, we're still holding it there. You know what's crazy? is when Gmail, or when email first came out, um, 
I started to communicate that way and my life changed as many of ours did. But what really changed for me was when Gmail came out. Because when Gmail came out, then everything changed for me because I finally had an email address that functioned the way that I do as a human. I'm a hoarder. Does anybody here hoard things? <laughs> and you know the most dangerous thing that happens for a hoarder is when, you're, when people are like, man, I wish I had a, an X to Y XLR cable, like some random thing. And you're like, I know exactly where one of those are. They're in my house. It's in my drawer. And then you pull it out and you're like, this is why I keep those old magazines from 1994. Like it's just a dangerous thing to have something. And I'm a hoarder. I hoard things. My wife is is crazy, always trying to sneak things away from me and throw them away. I'm like, no, I might need that package to that thing I bought nine years ago, whatever. But Gmail, it allowed me to hoard every piece of communication because all I had to do was archive it. And I never had to delete an email for the rest of my life. When I see that delete forever button, I wonder why would you ever do that? I can't even picture that in my mind. But you know what's crazy is that Gmail caught on so much and that archive feature then became a part of every single email feature and even a part of so many messaging features because the reality is that we don't delete things from our lives. As human beings, the communication that we receive and the experiences that we receive are not deletable. We have an archive feature as a part of the human soul that keeps things attached to us and keeps things connected to us. That name that you were called when you were a kid, was anybody called a name as a child? You get anybody get like a nickname, whether that was a, a fun nickname or bully name? Anybody get those? On the count of three, I just want you to shout them out. Ready? One, two, three, go. Isn't that bizarre? 20, 30, maybe for some of you, 40 or 50 years ago, you still have that name archived in your brain. We didn't delete it. Anybody remember your first kiss? Oh, that's a better feeling, isn't it? Maybe. All right, I want you to shout the name of the, of, your, of the person who was your first kiss. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three, go. Yeah, a little more pathos there, don't you think? It's archived. It's a part of who you are. See, the reality is all of us as human beings, we are archiving what's happening to us in our lives. And then this exterior thing that we show people is oftentimes what we've designed as here's who I am, when in reality we're covered in the archiving of the experiences we've had and the things we've carried, the emotions we've carried and the who we are becoming. So I'd like to have a conversation with you today about color, as you could probably tell. And I wanna have a conversation with you about color because I'm fascinated by color. Color doesn't exist at, a, at an elemental level. It is a reflection of energy. So all the colors you see in this room, all the colors that you see in your life, all the colors that you see in your shirt is a reflection of the chemical properties. It doesn't exist. It's the way that that energy hits light and hits the energy inside of your eyes. It is a figment of our perception. But what's so interesting to me about color is that throughout the centuries, we've used colors to explain things. And when you see colors in your life, it actually creates emotions in you. It connects to you as a human as to who you are. And when you have things, we wrap language around colors and we use colors to explain our human experience when sometimes words just don't fill it. So for us, what I'd like to do today is figure out what color we are in this room and what kind of ways that our life has been colored. So we'll start with the color blue. Anybody, anybody have your favorite color blue? Just by a show of hands. Wow, okay, that's amazing. Give, show them really high. Let me see how many favorite. Okay, I love it. We're gonna start with the color blue and what's important about the color blue is it has so many different properties. In color theory, as many of you are here, and I know my color theory will be judged by every graphic designer in the room and so I, I just pray you be gentle with me. But blue has an interesting color property in color theory is because each color has two parts. It has both the positive property and the way that people relate to it positively but can also create 
the negative emotions or kind of create the other side of those emotions. Blue creates two things. Blue is when you sing the what? Blues. Or boy, I sure have the blues. But blue is also connected to things like immortality and loyalty and family and friendship. Blue is that warm property of a person who's loyal to you and stays with you. Blue carries both that loss and that connectivity to it. So I have a question in the room. Has anyone here in the room ever struggled with or carried along their life depression? Just by a show of hands. Show them, hold them high. And look around and realize how many of us there are. Now, here's what I'd like is like just three people. Keep your hands high. Can you come here? Can you come up on the stage? And will you come up on the stage? And will you come up on the stage? What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to put a little of your blue and the blues from your life and I'd like you to put them on my body. Come on up. So here's what I want you to do. And this venue has been really, really gracious to us. But what I want you to do is I want you to just grab some blue and put it anywhere on my body you'd like oh, that would be appropriate to a whole room of people watching. <laughs> do it. Just dig your hand in deep. And they're going to give you a paper towel on the way out. Just do it all at the same time. You can put it on my front, my back, my hair, my face. I've got to catch a flight, but it's always a conversation starter. Anybody here in the room ever have like, uh, you have people in your life that are like your people. Anybody have that? Where you go, they may not be the family that I have, but they've become family to me. Anybody have those people in your life? I want just three of you to come up here and I want you to put some blue on me too. Can you, yeah, come on up. And it's gotta happen quick. Yes, ma'am, right here in the, in the sweater. Yep, and wed one other person. Yes, come on up. And I want you to just put some blue on me. What the blue represents so many times in our life is it represents things like depression. It represents things like sadness. But it can also represent those things, that loyalty, that other piece of it. Go for it. You do whatever. You just ignore me. That feels pretty good, actually. It's cold, which is surprising. But for so many of us, for our life, is oftentimes what happens to us is that we carry a little bit of the blues. And then our entire goal, we spend so much energy hoping people don't see the color that's all over us. See, for me in my life, I remember that moment where I've struggled and wrestled with this color blue for a long time, feeling deep sense of loyalty to my huge family and to my wonderful friends, but also carrying this weird, heavy weight on my chest like an anvil that I could feel like was depression, but I didn't want it to crush me, so I just kept moving. And then I heard a podcast. It was David Letterman speaking to Alec Baldwin, and David Letterman shared that he had a moment in his life where he realized he was diagnosed with a thing called anxious depression. See, when I met people who were depressed, I always felt like that's not me. I have no problem getting out of bed. I have no problem being motivated. I have no problem moving. I have the other problem. I can't sleep because I'm anxious about the things I've said yes to or the things I want to do or the who I want to become. See, I had this thing called anxious depression that I never felt like I could tell or communicate with people about because how would they respond to my color? Until I started showing a little bit of my blue. And you know what I got from people? Me too. When I started showing a little bit of my blue and a little bit of who I was and a little bit of the color, people started leaning in and going, I've dealt with this nearly my entire life. And so when people text me and I got a text message that I just remembered today, actually, I got a text message from a guy from New York City, he texts me, says, do you ever think about suicide? And I responded, all the time. Let's have a conversation. Let's FaceTime later today. I didn't want him to feel crazy for the color in his life. I didn't want him to experience in his life. It's a part of him. 
See, blue is everywhere. The people you're interacting with, the ones that you love, even you maybe sitting in this room, you go, I've got blue people don't even see. If they only knew it was covered. As an artist, the more that you create, the more your colors start to show. And some of you, you only write sad songs. Others of you, you only create these brooding dark images because it's a reflection of some part or one piece of that color of who you are because you go, this is my way of getting my color out into the world. But there are people who are drawn to you because of the color you carry. There are people who are drawn to you. What color is blue showing up in your life and where is that showing up in your life? The invitation for us is to start to perceive that these colors are actually a part of us being human. They're part of what's already happening inside of us. And then there's another color, which I'm a big fan of. Anybody like the color red? Oh, good. You know, what's funny about red is uh, red has the, another twofold. Is red has this crazy twofold because red is love. Is anyone in this room like hopelessly in love just so we can all look at you in awe? Wow, okay, good. You're hopelessly in love. And if you're sitting next to like your spouse and you didn't raise your hand, they're like looking at you slowly like, <laughs> really? But you know what? The other thing is like, has anyone ever been betrayed? Anybody ever had somebody who cut you so deep? Anybody had somebody who just tore your heart out? That's also red. See, it's so interesting that the same muscle, the same place in your soul by which you fall hopelessly in love is the same place in your soul by which you feel gut-wrenched when you lose a person. So is anybody here in your life, you are hopelessly in love? If you're hopelessly in love, I will, I'll have you come up. And is anybody here, you've been like betrayed and lost? Yeah, my man with the hat. You want to you come up here? I want you guys to red me. Red me for both pieces. You're hopelessly in love. Is that person in this room right now? No, he's not. Oh, man, that would be cool, right? <laughs> we could just make that happen. So you guys go ahead and, and do that. You know what's interesting about red for me in my life is I didn't even realize where red was in my life until I uh, met my little brother. My mom and dad, we have a really interesting story. My mom and dad uh, had three of us biologically. And then my mom said that God put her on earth to be a mother. And my dad said that God put him on earth to make her happy. Oh, wow. It's so good. It's so good. Now they're not going to be, they're not going to hear a word I say now. Thank you. A little heart. You know, it's interesting is that my dad had this perception that his job was to make my mom's happy for the world. So what he did in his focus was he said, uh, we'll have kids. And my mom had three of us biologically and then physically could not have any more children. And weeping, she said, what do I do? This is my calling in life. And my dad said, we'll, we'll adopt, because he had, uh, his father was adopted in 1929. He just said he blurted it out, didn't even know what it was. So we started fostering kids. We fostered 36 kids over a seven-year period while I was growing up. And yeah, it was amazing. And one of, them was, one of them was this little guy, his name was Hubby, and I want to introduce you to Hubby. See, Hubby came to our, into our life, and he entered into our world as this little beautiful bundle of joy. He came to us at a year and a half year, uh, years old. And uh, the first day we met Hubby, um, his fingers were broken because his mom's boyfriend had snapped him because he wouldn't stop crying. And he had curly iron burns all over his face. And uh, I remember sit him sitting in our living room and uh, us meeting him and him being so skittish of my dad and I because we were men. And he didn't want to be close to them and he would lean in. He stayed with us for two and a half years. And at two and a half years, we taught each other how to love. And he taught me how to lean in and he taught me how to heal and how love heals and what red does when you're in love with a human being. And then in a 24-hour period, 
social services called and said that a white family was not necessarily um, equipped to raise an African-American boy and there was a next of kin in some welfare corner of Michigan and they were going to remove him and we had 12 hours to pack his things. And my mom buckled and our family buckled and we broke and that red hot passionate red just turned into a dark deep cut. And I had this thought in my head that this is what love is. Love is a risk and love is a one side of the second shoe that's going to drop. And it informed me and it came to be a color over me. And on, in November one day, I was at Disneyland and I got a text message from my sister and my cousin and it was a group text and she texted and she said, hey everybody, uh, it's hubby's birthday today. Uh, I think he'd be 22 now. And I was standing in line at Disneyland with my two daughters and I just burst into tears. Which I think is like a sin at Disneyland or some kind of like... Uh, <laughs> and I just burst into tears and I, and I just text back and I just go, I just pray that he found the healing that our home offered. See, for me, red became so much about my fear of love, but it was all over me. And when I would meet people that I might lose, I distanced myself. This red was this deep, passionate love because of my little brother that taught me how to love. I knew how to love, but I also knew what loss felt like, and I knew the deep parts of that. But see, my family's story, it didn't end that way. We were fostering and fostering and fostering, and then we got to a certain place, and my mom finally said, we can't keep losing, because this happened three times in our family. And we just, we just can't keep doing this. So my mom said, my dad said, I'm done unless we do permanent adoption. So my mom said, deal. If that's the deal, I'm put on this earth to be a mother, so I'm gonna keep doing that. So we adopted my little sister, and then we adopted my other little sister, and then we adopted my little brother, and to this day, my parents have adopted eight kids from six different countries. So we are like a, an army. And I have a photo of them. This is our, this is our my, that's my immediate family. That's like lunch at my house. So we are like the UN all gathered together. Like it is a, it, we, when we, do, we don't do 4th of July anymore. Like as some of you who are, did not grow up in this country, you know that 4th of July is a really important day, but you wanna, it's, it's national pride. So we have the Olympics on the 4th of July where China and Bolivia get to race Guatemala to try to figure out if they can beat the United States at something. And it's been amazing. Guatemala, by the way, is killing it five years in a row. Uh, <laughs> It's been amazing. My dad always wanted me to be like a really great baseball player, and that never happened. But he has a, a, a son, my little brother named Joe, who's the best baseball player in the state of Ohio at the age of 11. And he's from Guatemala. So I tell my dad that people are going to be whispering that he did some serious recruiting. Had he, not, he could have only gotten a child from Cuba and had a better edge on the rest of these white kids in their little corner of Ohio. But it's amazing how our colors can inform us. And the more aware we are of the color that we leave. And then there's these other colors that I think is really fun. Uh, anybody a fan of yellow? Who's a yellow person? Yeah, I like it. You know what's fun about yellow is that yellow has two pieces. If you watch the movie Jaws, you see yellow everywhere. Because yellow creates thoughts of caution and anxiety and warning. That's the natural response. It's the first color that your eyes see. Which is why um, when you are driving and there's red that stops you and green that gets you to go, the one that catches your eye is the one that tells you slow down. Is this color yellow? But you know what else is crazy about yellow is you also see yellow in lots of movies that have anything to do with happiness. Yellow is both happiness and anxiety. Isn't that interesting that we as human beings attached our happiness 
space in our soul to our anxiety space. Has anyone ever noticed that when you're anxious, it's really hard to be anxious and happy at the same time? That they cannot occupy both those spaces. That what we have to realize sometimes is so, for so many of us is that anxiety is actually how your heart fear feels when your mind is full. But peace is the way that your mind feels when your heart is full. Because you see, this happiness thing and this anxiety thing is just a part of a lot of us. And for so many of us, some of us have been washed with a whole lot of yellow in our life. How many of you ever dealt with anxiety in your life? Carried a lot of that. My man, why don't you come with me? That's a lot more of us. And then madam, why don't you come with me? Why don't you guys yellow me, if you would? What's incredible about anxiety and happiness is the correlation to that is that for so many of us, many of us were raised in anxiety systems. And so anxiety is a normative for us, and if we don't have it, we feel like something is wrong. That some of us are best under pressure and best under anxiety or under stress. How many of you work better under pressure than you do with a long deadline? Because you're driven by this, by the taste of it, as I've got to deliver, I've got to get there, I've got to be a part of it. See, but for so many of us, the thing that may be missing, the thing that may not be a part of it, the thing that may be absent in our life is a little bit of that happiness piece that we've been driven by anxiety and driven by anxiety and I meet so many people who are driven by anxiety throughout their entire career and then get everything they drove to achieve and drove to get and then they don't know what to do or how to be happy because the anxious was the spot filling that space. So what I've started doing is realizing that for so many of us, we have two things. We have been both marked and we mark people. You as human beings, you are marked by the colors that are the experiences of your life, but you also have pocketfuls of paint that you can mark the people around you. You have the capacity to actually put colors into people's lives. Just like hubby put red into my life and my family and best friends put blue into my life, it's so that my daughters have put both anxiety and happiness into my life. <laughs> they have yellowed my entire soul. That I am both anxious because of them and I am happy because of them. And sometimes it's in the very same day, 30 different, different moments. But see, for so many of us, what we don't realize is that we are not passive observers of the colors of what happens to us, but we are full of paint and we can put them on people's lives. So yellow is the most fun for me. I'm also, if you follow the Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram with a six wing. So I'm naturally very, very entertaining. So my goal is to entertain as many strangers as I can before I die. So what I do is I look for people who need yellow in their life. I sniff them out and I search and I go, where can I put yellow into people's lives? I was at LAX. Anybody fly into LAX recently? It's been under construction for the last 111 years. And what's amazing <laughs> about LAX is that part of that means that sometimes the way you got out of the airport when you left two days earlier is not the way you get back in and vice versa. So we're all leaving, there's all these people coming this way, and my wife and I, I've got my daughters on my shoulders and my back, and my pulling bags, and I see this one woman. She's caught in between all of the angry travelers going this way, and the angry travelers going this way, crashing into, and she's saying, everybody going out this side, and everybody going out this side, and she's going for it, trying to, trying to do it. And there's people, there's businessmen, dragging their bag across her. Like just, just shredding her with like disrespect and you don't exist and just get out of my way being so rude to her. And I observe this happening as I'm approaching for 20 or 30 yards and then I walk right up to her and I just grab her by the arm and I lean in and I said, hey, I just want you to know you're doing an amazing job. And I said, you're doing awesome. These people suck, don't they? And she grabs me like by the shoulders and she goes, oh baby, and lays her head into my shoulder and just hugs me for like 12 seconds. 
Meanwhile, my wife is looking at me going, do you know her? And, and then we keep walking because my goal is to just put a little yellow into these people's lives who are just full of the wrong kind of yellow in their life. You have people in your life and maybe some of you, you have children and you know that your children, I have my daughter, she has the wrong kind of yellow way too many days. When she sees a person breaking a rule, she goes, ooh, and it feels like she's doing everything wrong. So you know what I do is I break all the rules in front of my daughter. I have two daughters. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. The four-year-old, my job in life is to teach her to break rules. My two-year-old is a wild child who's gonna run naked through the streets of, of Burbank if I'm not careful, okay? My job in life is to teach her that rules exist and that they should be taught boundaries. I need to give her a whole lot of an understanding of that, whereas with my other daughter, I just gotta give her all the yellow that I can possibly give her. So we were vacationing with my family in South Florida, and we're there and we're walking around, and as we're walking from a coffee shop back to the house, we observe a parade. There's just a parade happening out of nowhere, which is always like a, is it a day? Is it, what, what is happening? And it was not just a parade. It was an insane parade of like marching bands and machines and horses and the whole thing. But you know what's so weird? There was like not very many people watching that parade. So I was just like, oh, this is kind of a lax parade. Not a lot of security, not a lot of people. It, like, it felt like it's a parade that surprised everyone or everyone who was a part of the city was in the parade. So there was no one to watch <laughs> that except for some of the older people. So we started walking and my daughter goes, she just loves parades and events and things. And I have her on my shoulders and I go, hey, Cora, I want you to hold on tight. She said, why? I said, because we're about to become a part of this parade. And she's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I waited until there was like a Donald Trump, Ted Cruz train or whatever, like some kind of politician person. And then there's, there's policemen on horseback. And there was a little bit of a gap there because one of the horses took care of things. And so when that happened, I just jumped right into the parade. So imagine that you have all these, uh, you, have, you have a float and then this guy and his kid and then a float. I looked like a famous artist or something that's like bringing his child. So I just get in there and Cora's like, what are we doing? And she's squeezing my ears. Why are you here? Why are you here? And I just start waving to people in balconies. <laughs> and I just start, and I start waving to all these people. And lo and behold, I, we, we run into my family who didn't know that we were even in the neighborhood and they were just watching this parade, 30 or 40 of my family members watching this parade and here I come. Hey, everybody. There's people taking our picture and in all the pictures, my daughters just hover down like going, why are we, are we allowed? See, my entire goal is to put yellow all over her life because I don't want her to think that anxiety is the only kind of space that can fill her heart. And I don't want her to think that rules are the only way you can live life. Because some of them can be bent and broken and that's the adventure of all of it. See, there's this last color that I think is really important and this one I might put on myself. This color green. Anybody a green fan? They say geniuses pick green. And you know what's funny about green is, is green has twofold. And when a person is really, really new at something, they are green. When a person doesn't know what they're doing and they're totally lost, that person is green. But also when a person is just given permission to go. Green is the color of go. Green is the color of new. Green is the color of move. Green is the color of permission. Green is the color of yes. Green is the color of you've been waiting and waiting and waiting at this red light and now you have green sets you free. See, for so many of us, green can also mean envy. Anyone ever met somebody who's green with envy? See, so many times I think it's, we have a really interesting relationship to the color green. 
Because green becomes that we're new at something and we can start to wrongly feel that green is this thing that I'm just new at, so I'm just gonna hide it and I'm just gonna try it where no one can see. But then at some point I have to take a risk and realize, yes, I'm brand new at this. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm gonna go for it and you're gonna get all of me because I'm gonna get this green light. See, my question for you in this, in this night is who needs a little green from you? Who needs green in their life? Who needs permission from you to just keep moving, to just add the green, to just go for it, to just say, yes, you might fail, absolutely. You're green, you don't know what you're doing, you just need to go. And some of you here, you're sitting in this room and you have this idea that's just been inside you and you're like, we could rebrand or we could build or we could launch or we could go, but you just go, yeah, but I, I don't know. There's so much at risk. There's always something at risk. And do you know what envy is? I have this, such a strange information with envy. And I know envy makes our souls sick. And paying attention to people, things people have and wanting them for yourselves is so dysfunctional and is sickness to our soul. But envy is also a gift. Because sometimes envy is about some, having something you wish you had. And sometimes envy is telling you that you didn't move and that person did and there's somewhere you could have been. Sometimes envy is telling you that you locked something away inside that's supposed to be out there and that person did it and you should have and this is your warning. This is your teacher to say, go. You're green with envy because you know you could do it too. See, sometimes some of us in this room, you might be here and you go, if I just move, if I just had somebody who told me it would be okay, I'm gonna tell you here this, it's not gonna be okay. It's not, but you know what's okay? it not being okay. So yes, you're gonna screw up and you're gonna fail, but you need some green. See, I got green in my life when my dad called me and said, we've adopted eight kids, we have 11 total, but now I'm old and countries won't give me any more kids. <laughs> he said, but as near as I can tell, there are thousands and even millions of kids who need family, so what do we do? He said, I want you to think on it, come up with some ideas and let's go. I come back to him and I said, I got this idea. It's called crowdfunding. I said, I heard about it because there's this group called Kiva who did it. And there's another guy who created a boob job website called My Free Implants. And those are really the only two out there. <laughs> Kickstarter didn't exist. GoFundMe didn't exist. None of that was out there. So let's create a, a, a profile. Let's create a, a crowdfunding platform to help families fundraise for their adoption. And my dad goes, I, don't, I, I, I get it. I get it. He was, and he just happened to be a database engineer. So my dad looked at me. One of the most conservative people I know who still wears a cell phone on his belt looked at me and gave me the green light and he said, you go. We're gonna go hard and we're gonna go fast and we'll figure it out. So not having ever run a website, ever launched it ever before, Adopt Together was born is the name of it. And we launched the first ever crowdfunding platform for adoption. We didn't have any idea what we were doing and you know what was really cool is we thought we went small. And as you can see, I picked a really important color as our theme color to get this thing started. We thought, ah, you know what's gonna happen is for the rest of our lives, we're gonna get to help like 25 families a year. So our paperwork that we submitted to the IRS was that we would have this nonprofit that would help 25 families a year. And by the end of our 10 year run, we would have raised a million dollars to help families fund their adoptions and we would feel so good. But then, you know, this really strange and weird thing happened. Uh, a lot of people needed this. A lot of people needed to connect to it. So it's now been four and a half years and we've helped over 2,200 families raise over nine and a half million dollars to bring their kids home. So now I want you to imagine this. Imagine I don't say yes. 
Imagine I don't press green. Imagine I don't hear those voice of that permission of my dad doesn't splash green all over my life at 27 years old and say, go do this. See, for you here in this room, you have green in your pockets and maybe you have green in your life and you're waiting for somebody to go green. And sometimes you don't have somebody leaning in your ear or telling you on the phone, go. And sometimes you just have to put green on yourself and say, I pick me, I'm giving myself the green light, I'll be new and I'm gonna move because I'm not gonna let this lock up inside me anymore. See, that's our invitation to you tonight. One last thing that I press green on that I just have to tell you about is when I, we were getting together and now that this is a part of my life, because what you'll realize is that the more you start putting green on your life, you can't stop. When you start putting colors on people's lives, you can't stop. So once I got the green light to go, I literally can't stop saying yes to things that scare the bejesus out of me. So I found out about two years into Adopt Together that there was no such thing as World Adoption Day. No such thing. There's World Mountain Day, and I believe there was World Coffee Day a couple hours ago, which someone earlier said that World Coffee Day is every day, but there's World Everything Day. There was no World Adoption Day. No day to celebrate the families who have been uh, grown and connected through adoption. So we started it. And the only way to start a day really is through social media. So we did that, and we asked people to put a smiley face and a hashtag and say hashtag World Adoption Day. And now, on November 9th of this year, which I want you to mark your calendars, is our third ever World Adoption Day, where we have received support from Shaquille O'Neal and Ellen DeGeneres and some of the biggest stars in television and in film and in sports who have jumped in to say, yes, there needs to be a day like this. Yes, there needs to be a day to celebrate all these things. As this spreads around the world, and we have ambassadors from over 30 countries, uh, Azerbaijan is a country. And we have five World Adoption Day ambassadors from that country. Imagine we don't say yes. Imagine there's no green. See, my invitation to you tonight is that every single person in your life, they look like me. Every single person in your life is splashed with colors. Every single person in your life is carrying a lot of colors that we might hide in different ways, that we might clothe in different ways, but we're covered in them. They have red all over them or they have blue all over them or they're yellow or they're green. My invitation to you is to ask yourself this question, how did this person get this way? When you meet a person that you can't stand, anyone have a person you work with or that's in your life that you just can't stand? And if they disappeared to some wonderful place, you wouldn't cry about it. Anybody have those people in your life? Take a deep breath and go, how did they get that way? What color do they need from me? Some of you have huge audiences and very large platforms. The question is, what color does my audience need now? In a world of turmoil where we're losing Facebook friends over a political war that no one's going to win, what color do the, does the world need from you? Where can you place your color? Where can you put color on people's lives? What about your children? What about your spouse? What about you? Where can you put color on yourself where you go, yes, this is what I need. This is me. I'm going to give myself green. And you know what? I've been way too anxious and it's time for me to give myself a little more yellow. It's time for me to give myself a little more blue. I need some loyalty in my life. That you in this room, you are not a person who's only been marked by the world. You have paint all over your hands, all deep in your pockets through the tools and the impact that you have through your job and through the resources you have. Those are colors and the world is your canvas. And the people who follow you and to listen to you and consume what you create, you have the capacity to color them with whatever color they need. 
So our invitation is to ask the question, what color does my world need from me right now? Where do I need to put some yellow? Who needs a little blue from me? Who needs permission to say go? And who needs a little red? See what's extraordinary about the power that you hold in this room? What's amazing about story and this gathering and this place is that we've gathered in this place to all, for all of us to say, okay, I have all these things inside me. I have all these things outside and somehow you, you masterful creators have found a way to make your passion also your business. A very rare and high echelon of humanity. And now that responsibility comes down to the single solitary question. What color will you paint your world? How will you use the power you have to give the world the color that they need? So that the next time you meet someone or put a project together, or when something rubs you the wrong way or you see it, you ask yourself the question, how did they get this way? What colors do they have and what colors do they need from me? Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed this short look back at last year's event and were inspired by Hank's talk. It gets me fired up and ready to create each time I hear or watch it. If you'd like to watch the video of Hank's talk and see him being painted quite literally by some of our attendees on stage, you can do so for free on our website at storygatherings.com. Again, that's storygatherings.com. We still have a few more talks from last year that we can't wait to share with you in this short series of special flashback episodes. Next week is going to be another great one. And as we gear up for launching back into our normal programming next month, I'd love to hear your feedback about what you'd like to experience more of on this show. We recently sent out a survey and learned a ton, so keep the feedback coming. Email me your thoughts at harris at astoria.com. That's harris at I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. You can tweet them to us as well. I am at Harris the third, which is Harris I-I-I, like the Roman numeral three. Or you can tweet all of us at Story anytime by tweeting at Story Gathering. We do what we do here at Story to serve you guys, the creative community of storytellers, and that includes this podcast. It's all created with you in mind to keep you inspired to do your most creative work. So let us know how we can serve you best. I can't wait to hear from you. And in the meantime, thanks so much for listening to the Story Podcast. This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.